here. Coming to you from New York City for episode 120 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you Facebook would leave Libra if US regulators don't approve the project. Uh, China's national currency, the DCEP, sounds like a country itself. And Custodian Anchorage launches governance voting platform for maker holders. All this and much, much more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Mr. Will White. How are you doing, Will? I'm all good. How are yeah. you doing? I'm really well, sir. Having fun. Not jet-lagged? No, weirdly. I got here and I just got on the time zone. Straight to the gym. I was quite impressed last time. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem. It's weird. Uh, all right, and I'm joined by a returning friend of the show, one-time host as well, guest host uh, Amber Balde, founder, co-founder of uh, Clover. How are you doing, Amber? Uh, always wonderful and glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. And, of course, making his new show debut, um, we're joined by Mike Dudas, who's founder at The Block. How are you doing, sir? I am wonderful and delighted yeah. to be here. Thank Still you. Mike from The Block. You Don't be it. confused by the rocks that you got. <laughs> It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Hard to go there. Uh, just before we get into the news, uh, you may have heard by now we've made a documentary. It's called 11 Years, and it's about the rise of UK fintech. And it's available now to watch for free at 11years.film. So please do check that out. All right, first story this week comes from a publication you may have heard of, Mike. It's called The Block. Um, this is about Zuckerberg. Facebook would leave Libra if U.S. regulators don't approve the project. Uh, so he testified, of course, before the U.S. House Committee to address lawmaker concerns around the social network's planned cryptocurrency Libra. Uh, Zuckerberg said Facebook is willing to quit the Libra Association if it doesn't see the project fully approved by U.S. regulators. Uh, pointed out that the Libra Association is, of course, an independent organization and can still move forward uh, without Facebook, if they wanted, uh, and commented that Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal are possibly dropped out of Libra because it was viewed as, quote, a risky project. Um, Mike, do you want to just give us uh, your your view of this? Uh, I the whole hearings thing was a, was a bit of a bit of an interesting time. Yeah. So first of all, it was remarkable that Zuckerberg was even able to comment on Libra, uh, <laughs> given the onslaught of you know questions and comments and grandstanding related to Facebook in general. Uh, but you know, during the moments that he was able to actually answer questions about their plans. Uh, what I found most interesting is, you know, our team basically did a breakdown of all of the questions that were asked during the hearing, you know, by whom uh, and, and what they were about. And what we found is that the Republicans and the Democrats both, so there was bipartisan knowledge about blockchain technology and cryptocurrency and the monetary impacts, um, that wasn't present uh, when David Marcus was questioned, uh, I would say, what was it, three to four months ago or two, two to three months ago? Things are moving very fast. So we were impressed that the you know, legislators had educated themselves a bit more uh, over the past couple months. Uh, what was interesting, though, is our takeaway that Zuckerberg said, hey, you know, if we're not approved uh, and if the regulators you know, don't sign off on this, then we won't proceed – was actually the exact opposite from the Wall Street Journal's uh, headline, which was effectively, you know, Zuckerberg says that he's going to go forward uh, with Libra and the company will, you know, regardless of what regulators say. I mean, you can go back to the same day uh, and read it. So mixed messages, uh, really hard to have firm takeaways when uh, <laughs> it's somewhat of a political event. Uh, and what was 
I think the key takeaway for me personally was that Republicans actually came out of it seeming as the party that was sympathetic to uh, perhaps, hey, we're over-regulating and, you know, over, we're attacking, uh, you know, potentially monetary innovation in the United States, uh, particularly the letter you know, the, the now infamous letter sent by two uh, Democratic lawmakers to the financial institutions you mentioned that effectively threatened them. I mean, it wasn't even a veiled threat. It was like, hey, you stick around uh, and stay as part of the Libra Association, Stripe, Visa, MasterCard. There could be implications uh, in terms of, you know, your regulatory standing and licensing. As Preston Burns so wonderfully put it, uh, it was the regu- the sort of the, the political equivalent of chiggity check yourself before you riggity wreck yourself. Good, good old Preston. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> got away with words. <laughs> and then some. Uh, Amber, what was your reflection when you looked at like the, the theater of the past week? Um, it, it must be difficult to be up against two lines of questioning, one being how are you going to destroy the financial services system of the world, and the other being how are you going to destroy democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> to get through that alive. <laughs> that's, that's rough. And I think um, what's important, the kind of meta issues here, are the overall impact and importance and um, outsized influence that Facebook and its ilk continue to have and continue to aggregate power-wise and that, you know, anyone who thought they were going to stay in their lane and sell cloud services or build social media apps and chat apps um, was sorely mistaken. So uh, I don't, you know, we're all, of course, discussing what kind of regulation is the right answer. Is that ever the right answer? Do we just see what happens? Yada, yada, yada. But um, more than anything, we can see that they continue to want to move fast and break things across verticals uh, and enter as many different types of cross-matrices in industries as possible, and not just within the U.S., but globally. And Facebook as a business, Will, is in an interesting place as a big tech. They they kind of have probably grown as much as they can in their ad business in the U.S. Other markets, they're struggling for the ad revenue in quite the same way. They're obviously looking for other ways to monetize, um, but it's almost like uh, you kind of combined... Libra's got something for everybody. Like, whatever you're scared of, that's the threat it is to you. If you're scared of scary spiders, or scary clowns this is the scary clown spider I mean I, I think the whole thing from beginning to end with Libra it's like a I honestly think it's a mind blowing like um, screw up in political lobbying and PR I actually blame Nick Clegg who <laughs> is going to be less relevant outside of the UK but he was Deputy Prime Minister in the UK he was employed to do this how they didn't plan this out um, because you know ironically if you, if, if you want to a safe execution that governments can work with, like, this is pretty centralized. You can work with this. You can do this stuff. Um, but it's just like grandstanding. You can have a go at it. I mean, the, the, the clip that was widely shared was AOC kind of yeah. having a go, nothing to do with Libra. Yeah. She's just like, I'm cross with these things. And she's entitled to be, but, like, it was nothing to do with Libra. It's like, that's the clip that went round, and they just seem to, it just seems to be slipping further and further away. I just, I just don't get it. I don't know how Nick Clegg didn't plan this out. Mm-hmm. Like, why he wasn't, like, on a plane to the Reserve Bank of India at the beginning, because it's fairly obvious that that's where they were planning to start. But maybe those conversations are happening, right? And, and maybe you just maybe, don't see but... that. There's, there's the above the line and the below. I would imagine they're deploying a lot of people behind the scenes to, to kind of try and massage some of this stuff. Yeah, you'd hope so. I don't know. I just, I just find it really, really odd that how they've screwed it up this much, so that you can. It's now just sort of anyone who's across with anything can 
It's like Facebook are in a room. Let's have a go at everything we're cross with them about. How how much of this though uh, is people cross at Facebook, and how much of it is people cross at Libra? Like because Libra itself seems. You know, if it were to operate at scale, it presents some interesting systemic risks potentially. But uh, out, outside of those, you know, it's there's a lot of crypto projects it resembles that could potentially be as as threatening, if not if they were to hit scale. So is it is it Facebook that's causing that, or is the Libra project itself still got fundamental questions to answer? I think Facebook was in a unique position of um, having the kind of scope and ability to go out with something that was going to have impact even when it was just a white paper initially, where what they proposed was actually more um, out there, quote unquote, than some of the other, like, don't worry, we're going to do this all internally, we're going to follow step by step with regulators, et cetera. They came out from the beginning and said, there will be public wallets, you can take money outside the Facebook ecosystem and then bring it back, and um, which was supposed to assuage the fears of people that thought it was just going to be this internal face coin thing. Yeah. Uh, and instead, you know, that kind of backfired on them. I, I was a little surprised that they weren't more prepared for that. Yeah, they went basically right down the the sort of awful middle, which is it wasn't this private face coin that could potentially evolve over time uh, once launched uh, into a broader you know, association, multi-party uh, money system. Uh, but they didn't go all the way. I mean, basically, you either should have done that. And in retrospect, by the way, it's very easy to say these things. Mm. I never would have forecast the absolute onslaught of regulatory activity Absolutely, that right. resulted. We had never seen regulators move rapidly in really any country uh, to crack down on anything cryptocurrency or non-sovereign money related. Well, because it was always too small. To, you know, it, was, yeah. it, it was interesting that the Bank of International Settlements and the FSB a few times sort of said, uh, crypto, yeah, we should watch out for anti-money laundering. We should make sure there's control. We should develop a, a framework with FATF and all of that kind of good stuff, but uh, it wasn't seen as systemically risky, whereas potentially this this was, so it went into the purview. Absolutely. You know. So the thing that I think I would have done, uh, easy to say now, and yeah, they'd been working it's on this for a couple of years, right, um, been very tight-lipped, is you, know, you probably should have gone all the way, right, and, and had folks actually commit the $10 million, had folks, you know, you should have been on V2 of uh, your spec, uh, right. you know, quietly, quietly let uh, hundreds of select developers, you know, kind of like bang around and work and, and come out with V2 um, of your technical white paper. And uh, just have people a little bit more bought in before uh, putting out there this really heavy PR uh, onslaught. That it was a statement was of intent. not gentle. I mean, this was like I worked on Google Wallet back in 2011, which fell flat in its face in its initial launch, and we took the same sort of ill-fated approach, which was kind of get to the conceptual level. And then bring in a bunch of partners that we announced and be extremely loud about it before you'd worked out any of the details. And uh, that product got shelved a year and a half later. And Stripe always talks about turpentine, right? It, it's like um, artists, uh, when uh, critics look at art, they talk about the meaning of the art. And when artists talk to each other, they talk about where to get the cheapest turpentine. <laughs> I love that quote, yeah. And, and, and it's fantastic because with financial services and fintech generally, that's always the path to execution is not understanding the vision. The vision is actually the easy part and everybody can see it. And if you're just coming into fintech, like, welcome. We, we, 
thanks for joining us. The hard part is the hard yards and, and the turpentine stuff, and and it's that's all kind of in front of the Libra guys, and they're they're working through it in public, and they seem to be coming a long way in a short space of time. But there's a big learning curve to come up. And as you look at this, Amber, what what do you see some of those insights being if, as you look at it? Well, I think payment processors have been concerned that social media companies were going to push into the um, merchant services and payment processing and and abstracting away uh, or internalizing all of this payment stuff for years. And then this kind of uh, coin thing happened that's like a weird, odd explosion distraction, um, like overplay of a hand. But now also whatever they end up with will seem perhaps less scary in a way. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the problem they're trying to solve is figuring out how to transact across their properties, uh, whether that's the Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp properties, or also all of the Facebook uh, sellers and marketplaces and how they manage to compete with something like the Amazon marketplaces. Um, And so these are the the types of problems they're trying to solve. They thought perhaps a coin might help them. I don't think they, you know, that of course ties into this whole, like, what do we do with the unbanked that we're now the ISP to the world for? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe there's a play there. Um, But there are much more pressing short-term concerns for them from the business side of how do we save money and generate and monetize our our, in our marketplace and flipping the perspective to the bank's perspective uh will mike uh like there's there's a lot of things going on in banking right now one of them of course is that uh you know, there's a real concern that we're heading towards another financial crisis there's a real liquidity crunch i mean look at what the fed's having to done uh, kind of with uh, overnight liquidity uh when bankers look at this one of the things that i i imagine they're concerned about is well if facebook launches is that another liquidity issue i've got to worry about is that another place where i'm not attracting deposits and i'm not able to fund my balance sheet yeah and, and i actually think it's super interesting because if you if you if facebook could focus it on instagram i think that's amazing like i i think if you're an influencer that's got twenty thousand followers you should really be running your instagram like a sales funnel you know and you should be able to sell stuff on there don't and give them be, more ideas but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know like it, like truthfully that's but like a a simple payment system was going to be great and like i love the people who were in the foundation association my mind's gone blank yeah i thought it was actually like an amazing execution of these different people but truthfully, they also, they kind of half indicated it was that and half indicated that it was really the Indian market, right? Because you can't get a Alipay, isn't it, in China that's sort of absolutely dominated the market. Massive amounts of WhatsApp adoption, massively, uh, massive growing middle class who want a very, very poor uh, traditional point of sale infrastructure. Huge penetration of smartphones. I mean, it's like a no-brainer in, in India. It's like, cool, like, let's use our smartphones like point of sale. Let's do this. Now, for the Indian Reserve Bank of India, I'm going to freak out about that because uh, most of those customers are customers of the state banks of India, of which there are a bunch. And you're going to lose the deposits. It's actually early doors like stuff that happened with Monzo, which after Monzo became a bank was less of a problem. Yeah. But when it was a prepaid card, actually it was driving a lot of people just to literally have their money sitting there. It's just like dumb pipes. It just sits on a prepaid card and it's the equivalent of that. And that's very un- unnerving because if you're an Indian bank, um, you're suddenly losing your cheapest line of funding, which is your deposits. And, and so you've got to go and find an interesting market with Paytm, the universal payments right. infrastructure, UPI. They've, they've done a lot of work in payments generally mm. uh, to, to create that infrastructure. They've also demonetized and tried to take cash out of circulation. They've got Adar, which is the identity system. They've got a lot of building blocks and, and seem quite uh, keen to own a lot of space. They're also very, very, uh, from a policy perspective, really on the anti-crypto end of, of global policymakers. Um, you know, even, even compared to the likes of a China 
China, they're, they're quite aggressive in how they try to shut that down. For this point, that you, the, a, lo- a large amount of the banking system there is is, is state-run or semi-state-run, and if you lose the cheapest um, line of funding, which is deposits, you know, no one ever thinks they're lending to a bank; they think they're depositing a bank. Thanks to the bank, yeah. but no, reality is you're actually lending to the bank and getting nothing for it. Um, if you suddenly lose, well, they that hold chip. your money usually. So yeah, in a, in a safe, they lock it up and uninsuring <laughs> <laughs> it, kind of. But you know, like traditionally, that's why it was of enormous value to you to lend it for free. And then, like now, it's like so. So um, if I was them, I would be nervous. I'd want to make sure that I didn't destabilize my banking system and have to find an additional source of short-term funding, which is not really ideal. Not ideal. Um, the next uh, link story to this was um, uh, from Yahoo Finance. And Twitter's Jack Dorsey says, hell no to joining Libra. Interesting opposite end of the spectrum kind of uh, view. Um, guess, um, you know, Square Crypto have been doing a lot, Mike. Um, might be worth recapping some of, the, some of the headlines they've hit and some of the moves they've been up to recently. Yeah, so Square has created it it's a little bit unclear you know but but effectively sort of an independent organization although you know Macarallo who was hired by the organization sort of said hey Jack's our, our CEO yeah. but effectively um, a group of incredibly talented uh, product folks and engineers uh, to work uh, and these are some of the best people in the you know whatever we call it, blockchain and cryptocurrency ecosystem, uh, to work not on behalf of Square, but really on behalf of advancing particularly, I think, Bitcoin, um, you know, development. And and perhaps, and this is unclear to me, other uh, cryptocurrencies and other public blockchains as well. Uh, Jack's made it pretty clear, though. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that Square crypto is the most interesting thing happening at Square with relation to cryptocurrency, right? Square it's it's, cash, it's obviously Cash App. Yeah, so Cash App uh, is an absolute juggernaut. So, you know, I worked at Venmo uh, back in 2013 and 2014. Uh, cash App didn't, uh, I don't think it existed. It certainly wasn't on my radar. But, but now it's massive, right? Yeah, so um, Venmo, you know, had a multi-year head start and, and really lost all of its momentum uh, when it was sold to PayPal in 2014. Uh, the product hasn't evolved. Uh, it had network effects in terms of people having the app on their phone and their friends, and it was social. So it's continued to grow. But from a product perspective, I mean, they just in- introduced cashback rewards, I think, today, um, which Cash App did years ago. So anyway, you've got tens of millions of folks who are active users of Cash App, uh, and they're from every demographic, which is different than Venmo, which feels like a city app and sort of young, uh, wealthier people. Uh, And Cash App is like the app that everybody uses uh, to get money instantaneously. They were the first to allow you to cash out to a bank account like next day for a 1% charge so uh, or to a prepaid card. So it's a really, really well thought out and incredible app. And the only thing they allow you to do in addition to moving money, well, until last week, the only thing they allowed you to do was buy and sell Bitcoin. Um, and you know, it's really powerful. So, so Jack has a team around him on the Cash App team who has convinced him uh, that you know, Bitcoin is sort of the one true and, and only cryptocurrency. So they've explicitly said, look, we're not going to support any other cryptocurrency in Cash App, which, by the way, again, reaches tens of millions of people uh, in the United States. Uh, that's pretty powerful. Um, what's a little bit scary is, you know, if you actually hold your Bitcoin in Cash App, like you don't actually 
own it. I mean, you have to transfer it to another account, um, you know, externally, another address if you wanted to actually store it yourself. But uh, that could be, that's a sort of central point of failure. But but Jack's made it clear that he is a, you know, he's a full-on, you know, Bitcoin believer and he believes in the mission, as they mm-hmm. say over there. <laughs> Interesting. Amber, like, how do you look at um, the, the Square and or Jack Dorsey positioning versus, say, a, a Facebook Mark Zuckerberg piece? Do you, do you see uh, – how, how do you view that difference? Well, I mean, they're definitely different. I guess I can – haven't thought about that particularly. Mm. Um, you know, when I uh, was lucky enough to get to testify to Congress back in 2018, uh, over a year ago at this point, um, I mentioned – I think it's only in my written testimony, so probably nobody noticed it uh, – but that the things that matter for adoption are things like Square incorporating Bitcoin payments. Um, and, you know, I think it's great that people have picked up on that as being a major cue for adoption. Um, but I think, you know – it. It's also like not a, a popular opinion to question a little bit how it's being done. <laughs> but I do think we should kind of follow the the technical evolution of what they're doing. And um, it's great. I think the team is, do, is doing great work. And there, there have been features introduced per, that um, are augmenting what you can do. So like at first, uh, you would have to onboard funds through your um, Cash App wallet. Then you could transfer into Bitcoin, uh, work within the universe of users on Cash App, and then go back out through your, your Cash App wallet and back out to your bank account. They've recently added the ability to be able to bring Bitcoin in from an external wallet and also to withdraw to an external wallet, which is very important. And at first, I was kind of skeptical at them not having those features. Of course, we're in process of building things, so I get it. It's iterative. Um, but, you know, we, sh- we should think holistically about what it means to have a such a widely adopted, very um, human identity, AML kind of application as a constant um, intermediate point in a number of transactions uh, and what that kind of what the overall systemic impact of that might look like um, but overall yeah I think from a usability standpoint it's it's leaps and bounds and and by the way to that point like Robinhood uh, mm. eToro mm. SoFi uh, as far as I know yeah today those uh, services all are very similar to the initial iteration of mm. Cash apps, you know, Bitcoin product where you don't actually, it's not your keys, right? You yeah. can't get your Bitcoin in or out of the service or your other coins for that matter. Yeah. So you kind of are, you know, you're, you're sort of holding an IOU. Yeah, it's, it's a very different world that, that, that they put that into. I think also what, what struck me as is, is I looked at um, Jack Dorsey specifically on this crypto subject, but also on the subject of kind of data and communities and free speech. He's in a very different place um, to, to Mark Zuckerberg, who was kind of rolling out sort of what looked like PR dancers. Um, whereas uh, if you listen to Jack Dorsey when he was on the Joe Rogan show or several others, you know, really does take on the tough questions from all sides, but provides very uh, thought through answers and the imperfections and the balances of that. So there's there's a level of sort of uh, kind of first principles thinking that's going into some of this that that seems to be that's interesting, and there's an intellectual honesty to the way he presents a lot of his arguments when you, when you listen to him talk that I find really really compelling. So uh, long may that continue. I, I liked his. I, I always thought. I mean, maybe I'm just buying the PR, but I, I liked the uh, it, he. Well, they did a very good job this week of showing themselves like Facebook arrived and they looked like the Navy and they turned up and they're very much yeah. like we built this thing and we're great and things and then got dinged, and then. Jack's like, you know, well, we're, we're being humble. Mm-hmm. Some other people, we believe that some other people may have thought of some smart stuff and we're putting some resources. Now, 
I don't know if that was PR or the reality, but but it but it definitely played well to me. I was like, okay, do you think Facebook good. could have done you know what what Jack did though? You know, Facebook puts Bitcoin, uh, you know, buying and selling. Even the initial iteration and version that you know Cash App did, where you you don't really hold the token. Uh, yeah, I'd have to imagine the regulatory scrutiny would have just been outrageous. The blowback probably wouldn't have been that different, and it might have actually harmed Bitcoin. I, I would posit that. But Facebook have had e-money licenses in a number of jurisdictions mm. going back to 2010. The 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 issue for them has probably not been uh, kind of getting licensing and, and getting uh, that that piece of it done. It's been an execution question. Whereas actually, uh, Jack is on the other end of it in that he's built. A payments business, and he's he's done the kind of the hard yards of, of getting that to scale. Uh, and actually, if you look at what Facebook's done in the last five years, at least, it's been mostly acquisitions and copying. It's not been building a new business. So I wonder if that DNA is missing, and and Jack still has some of that. And and how much of Mark Zuckerberg's involvement or the entrepreneurial spirit that helped build the organization is, is really shaping some of this stuff, or how much of it is strategy teams and people kind of putting together what you should do. And and there's a difference in approach there. I don't know. I'm speculating. We, I you said something super accurate obviously which is that i mean he's got you know cash up's got an enormous numbers of of kyc anti-money laundering sanction checked people to use the cash app like a lot of the facebook stuff is like oh imagine this future where you can spend on on instagram and we can change payments in india and do stuff it's like well great but sure. but like actually it's the it's the I, painting and the turpentine it's like you know i i, I run a a card scheme before this and yeah the, you spend most of your day dealing with that that crap you know like the good stuff it's good but you are literally dealing with the realities of what if you false positive someone on a sanctions check you know that's ugly and grim and hard work and you've got to figure it out you know it's it's not all kind of glamour and announcements so i guess he's in a much better position to do do I guess more. Well, we'll keep watching this one. Um, the next story comes from uh, Pan Daily. Um, sorry to segue so rapidly there, but I'm just conscious of the time. Um, and this was the CCIEE vice chairman <laughs> says the People's Bank of China will be the first to roll out digital currency. Uh, interesting one to watch. So uh, said that he stated that he does not believe Facebook digital currency Libra will be successful. He said China's central bank is close to developing its blockchain-based financial technology, whatever blockchain-based financial technology means. And it will be the first in the world to officially roll out usable digital currency. Um, I would argue there are some usable digital assets out there anyways. Um, and the People's Bank of China has been studying DCEP, digital currency electronic payment, for five or six years um, and thinks that technology has matured. Um, and they actually took aim at SWIFT, calling it uh, outdated, inefficient, and costly. Um, so uh, we, we've got to, ha- I imagine, have a geopolitics lens here, but uh, it's interesting how this is positioned directly at Libra. Um, do you think we'll see this anytime soon, Amber, perhaps? This is a whole word salad of things um, just thrown <laughs> together. Uh, let's mix up all the different types of payments and audiences and problems uh, and then throw it at Libra and Swift and everything else. Um, <laughs> That's why we call it a podcast. <laughs> so, thank you for saying that because I spent the entire week not kind of – I've looked at this this a number of times. Like, I don't know what – what? It's just like what every word. Yeah. I mean it's not – 
news that these companies or that these countries have been looking at doing sovereign currency on a, a blockchain. And, you know, it's f- one of the reasons that I had have been urging um, uh, so so much engagement from the U.S. on uh, on sovereign digital currency is that if we do not develop it, it will come from places that uh, have a more authoritarian bent on their surveillance right. state. Um, and that there is we I've said many times, you know, we take for granted that the Internet was developed in the West and it would look very different if it had come from elsewhere. And there is a geopolitical bent to this and it matters. I think it's a false binary to say it's China or Facebook. I mean, mm-hmm. God, what kind of world have we ended up in? Those are our only, those are our only choices at this point. Um, but yes, I hope that, you know, if for some reason it was a wake up call to somebody that these things matter, uh, then yes, that, Good for that. <laughs> that it matters. Uh, so let's, let's get on it. Um, but you know, it, we don't just need to get bogged down in it's only my horse that can win. It needs to be Bitcoin or it needs to be Zcash or Monero or or Libra or, you know, whatever. Like we need to think much more holistically about um, what the type of properties of our, our money system should look like and how we can uh, – achieve a solution where like you can be safe in your own bubble and your local jurisdictions and with the tribes of people that you know and with the local laws that you've accepted, but I can still engage in a global marketplace. And I don't think any specific one government is going to crack that nut for the world. Interesting. So the first challenge, obviously, or the first sort of competition is obviously going to be DCEP versus WeChat Pay and Alipay. So I think that's going to be one that's really interesting to watch. Those two products have really started to move into the United States. Like if you're in Las Vegas, if you're in New York, um, you see the Alipay signs uh, everywhere, Alipay accepted here. And a lot of folks have become concerned with that and said, hey, if, if we can't, if we don't change regulations such that it's easier for mobile money, uh, and, and, you know, some of these folks who are creating new financial products in the U.S. to move abroad more quickly, uh, we're going to be in trouble. Anyway, so, so I think, one, you're going to see a kind of a fight there within, in China uh, to see kind of what the dominant money is. I would assume DCP would be accepted uh, under whatever brand they launch this, um, state money, uh, in, in, you know, ch- for Chinese merchants. The Next thing is, yeah, like what the hell does this thing look like? I mean, it's all speculation at this point. And, uh, and when will it actually launch? And, you know, how do you actually, how do you, what's the monetary policy? How do you get all of, you know, the Chinese banks to actually support this? Um, yeah, there's it, some hard yards in front of this for sure. Exactly. So, so that's a challenge. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of the comments kind of, so, so if they just stuck to, hey, this is what we're doing. And this is why it would be more believable. But then to go attack Swift, which uh, the Swift they're talking about is like yesterday's Swift, right? Like it's not a great system. We know that. But they're improving. Yeah, GPI is not bad, right? It's not bad and I assume it'll get better. I mean, like we're talking about a previous world. It just feels there like you're starting to get very political. And it weakens some of the arguments when you start talking about Libra and Swift and other limitations of other systems. It's so interesting how uh, we're in this time in which the global payments network infrastructure is the geopolitical football that's being kicked around in the context of kind of uh, trade wars. There's a couple of interesting things that came out of CoinDesk and CNA as well on the back of this, which was you know apparently Bitcoin jumped uh, 12% around the same time as... Uh, 
uh, Xi Jinping um, embraced blockchain and did a did a big speech around how how important that was going to be to the future of, of China. And there's also then uh, a piece where the China State Paper urged calm after that statement <laughs> and the TCP as anything with Bitcoin in it or blockchain in it anywhere on the on the Chinese markets absolutely soared. Uh, it doesn't seem like we're quite past the hype uh, on, on some of this stuff just yet. Um, any thoughts on this one, Will? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I just, it, I, there are governments I wouldn't want to have access to every single one of my payments uh, ever. And I'm, I'm going to say it, the Chinese one of them. Yeah. And I, but then, but then equally, is that just, you know, is am I just accepting yeah, the hype the other way? Yeah. Like, yeah. And and all week it just looked weird. It looked very sort of staged and strange. And I just couldn't get, I couldn't get my head into it. And it just. Oh, Did you I see? Know. I mean, you guys all must have seen the first. Uh, utilization of blockchain technology again not money related but it was to have uh, communist party members basically pledge their loyalty to the party yeah you said this to me last night uh, yeah using an app now you know i think that's a pretty pretty definitive sign of how this is going to be used right it's it's recording people recording oaths i mean this is some of the most serious things that uh, that um, to, to put in an immutable blockchain and record it, it's just that's a dangerous thing for for any individual to pledge their loyalty into eternity. To but we're, we're throwing this term blockchain around. How much does uh, a the ultimate centralized top down state right. really really need quote unquote blockchain and or even DLT or is this just a different type of cryptography and a different way of distributing the the systems they're producing? My my, my positive spin on this is I hope that this is like peak central data invasion yeah. and that this then drives people to to go for the anonymous fully decentralized option because is that an option in china i mean <laughs> I they're know. upgrading Sorry, all their cameras now only 30 percent of them can actually recognize you mm -hmm. um and so you know they're, they're they're changing that rapidly you know a percent per, per period of time but amber you were gonna say something um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they can create a fully independently functioning, publicly accessible cryptocurrency, um, depending on what sort of cryptographic suites they're using. Beneath that, it may already be completely uh, backdoored in a way that they have access to every single transaction. Um, there's, you know, plenty of accusations that that's already happens with U.S. <laughs> suites and others. It's a, a kind of, um, it's a, a geopolitical football. People like to throw around at each other about who's back or who's what. Um, yeah. But uh, that's that's the state of the world today. <laughs> it, it is what it is. Well, listen, um, oh, one last, yeah, go ahead. Um, it would be, we would be remiss not to mention the impact that going cashless had on the Hong Kong protests and the protesters that have been attempting, for example, to use the Grab subway cards uh, in their octopus system, which is funnily named, I guess. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, that you you want to maintain that ability to have uh, private transactions for, say, protecting political activity. Uh, and it's not just about access to a fully anonymous um, kind of cryptocurrency system, but that might be the only alternative you have if everything else is completely cashless because we just did that for convenience. Yeah, which you know some some folks would would kind of not be against if their top down state controlled mindset is, is that that's a good thing. But I, I, there are definitely reasons why it's why it's not. Mike, last piece before I move us to to my ad read, which is uh, this this big forty percent jump that happened in Bitcoin. What's going on there? Was this all the China story? So who knows? Uh, anybody who tells you they know is lying. 
uh, or overconfident, anybody tells you that you're wrong for your hypothesis and they're certain you're wrong is also talking out of their ass. The The truth of the matter is, you know, relatively small market cap for these assets, lots of news, uh, lots of whales who, you know, can do things when, when, uh, which you can sort of track but not fully understand. So we did an analysis and uh, at the block, and what we found was that on some of the futures exchanges, uh, there was some significant movement, that, that uh, some significant transactions prior to price movement that likely led um, you know, to a significant move up. And then what happens is because we think, because it was in a moment of heightened awareness and news that it kind of just fueled mm-hmm. this, uh, this fury, but it's a guess. It's an educated guess based on looking at all the exchange. Basically we do a baseline against normal exchange behavior across all the different exchanges in a typical period. We saw some anomalies and we came you up with a hypothesis, hypothesis but who knows. I mean, that's the thing we have to recognize is like China does X, um, you know, they're going to do more transaction volume, you know, the day they launch this DCEP than like, mm. the, I, I'm exaggerating, but in the history of Bitcoin, right? Yeah. In terms of actual non-speculative transactions. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, these are two different things, but I think, you know, fundamentally that Bitcoin is as important as that DCEP uh, for the sort of alternative it gives to folks globally. Interesting stuff. All right, time for a quick ad read. Um, this uh, episode is brought to you by R3's Corda. Um, developed by R3, uh, apparently it's light years ahead of other blockchain platforms in terms of privacy, security, scalability, and interoperability. Um, and because Corda was built to meet the requirements of highly regulated industries, in particular financial services, it can be used by firms of any type and any industry. Um, all right, so a free trial of Corda Enterprise is available now at r3.com. Head on over to check it out. All right, back on with the show. And of course, shout out to Todd McDonald, friend of the show. Um, next story comes from The Block. Uh, Visa-backed crypto custodian Anchorage launches governance voting platform for maker holders. That, again, word salad. Um, it's apparently, support for more coins is coming. Uh, institutional crypto custody provider Anchorage did launch their on-chain governance platform, um, dumped Anchorage Governance, a catchy title. Um, it first supported cryptocurrencies, of course, MakerDAO, um, and more to be added. And it's apparently built in an attempt to increase voter turnout. Who knew um, that on-chain governance would struggle more than democracy with voter turnout? Like this is this is maybe there's some gerrymandering going on with with Maker. Who knows? Anyway, I'm I'm being silly now. Uh, how did you view this one? Like crypto custody has been that subject for a while. That will it come? Will it allow us to get into the institutional space? Is, is it really going to happen? Uh, how did how do you view this and encourage and everything that's happening? So the first thing I would say is that. You know, the default assumption that I think the research team at the block has is that most crypto uh, custody and ultimately voting and staking, you know, on behalf of of coin owners and holders is going to happen at exchanges. Um, It's just, it's just, you know, you see Binance, you see Coinbase introducing ever 
uh, more. I, I guess like a like an equity in an annual general general meeting, an AGM, right? Like yeah. the, there's all of these corporate actions that happen. I may own this a is stock. Like exa- Nobody it, votes for those. Yeah. Like regular people. Yeah, yeah. You, exactly. You might delegate a proxy if you have enough of them. Most people don't send the mails back. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's one of the the early blockchain use cases. Was can we do proxy voting on a blockchain? Because yeah. we don't know who actually owns these things. Seven hops away. They're held in street name, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you know. That problem persists. I cannot imagine that we're actually going to solve it with, exactly. for blockchain governance, which is like yeah, which is no even, one is at, no one yeah. is involved. I, I, I don't know. No, I, I, I think, think this you're is right, like Amber. compounding problems on problems. And <laughs> and by the way, the the things you're voting on are actually far more material mm-hmm. than normal like equity shareholder voting. It's yeah. like literally how what should the interest rate be? Well, um, it's like the central bank holders. Yeah. kind of governance. You, that's exactly of it. And so it's, it's almost as if the monetary policy committee from the Bank of England or the Fed were was was something that was distributed uh, uh, democratically and yeah. then had like. Four percent turnout. This is why we we elect representatives that we think are going to do this work day to day and that are knowledgeable about the various things that need to be voted on and do that work. Uh, it's not the same as a direct democracy when everybody gets to vote on everything. Rule, yeah. <laughs> well, the Anchorage product. It's a good product. Uh, yeah. It's just a problem that again I don't necessarily think is critical for, yeah, they need to solve it to get market share. Mm -hmm. But I have to imagine companies like Anchorage ultimately end up as part of, you know, larger roll-ups. So Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, Kraken or whether it's Binance or or Coinbase, Mm -hmm. there's just going to be a couple of these financial behemoths that let you do anything you want to do with tokens. And that's scary. I believe that. That may not happen. But it's going to be, in my mind, um, at least for the retail market and a lot of the institutional market, you know, a handful of really large systemic, potentially too big to fail uh, financial institutions. Yeah, I don't have any opinions on the Anchorage product. I didn't mean to make it yeah, sound that no. way. I just, no, I don't understand a, blockchain governance. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a question. That's on this. A, yeah. yeah, I've got like, I mean, I have a very small piece of MKR, not shilling anything, like just was interested in it when it started. Um I I just wondered, like, because I I didn't even know this existed. So I, I mean, am I meant to be voting on various decisions? Mm-hmm. Um, but but also, like, really, like me specifically, because one of the one of the early and you own MKR, not die. I own MKR. Yeah, 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 yeah. I own MKR because I was kind of interested in yeah. it, like, truthfully at the beginning. And but like, am I am I meant to be on the Anchorage system doing something? I mean, even no, though I've got a depa- tiny where tiny do you piece. Hold, well, uh, you don't have to tell me bad opsec, but yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, you I'll have your tokens well, somewhere, <laughs> <and> <laughs> so you can vote directly. Um, right. Yeah, but they make it easy. They make it turnkey. One uh, of the ones primarily for institutions who need to have uh, their funds. Uh, I'm sorry, their tokens with a qualified custodian because they're over a certain. Yeah, size. So, so it's literally just direct fund yeah. uh, that's yeah. holding that's holding these assets. Plus, or, but is it, is it just direct democracy? Is it like because because I, I, I well, what I liked is that in when that money is people right or like coins or votes yeah. in mm-hmm. most of these. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not an individual human because that's a difficult computer science problem. And so right. we've, we've right. made yeah. that an abstract to your coins are your votes, so it's plutocracy. Based on sense. how much of it I own. Yeah, right. <laughs> one but, coin, and, one vote, yeah. But, but, and I always yeah liked, that's um, what Stephen Pally and, and Preston Byrne, you know, two lawyers, like to say. You've reinvented plutocracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, there, is there not a way, because one of the early projects, I can't remember which one it was, had this cool idea where, which I thought was quite a good, where I don't, care like there's certain people who know more about the the maker project and i think it's great and i'd love to just be like yeah they'll make my decisions but if they annoy me i want to be able to just quickly turn it to someone else 
mm-hmm. which is kind of a new form of representative democracy that someone was trying really early doors. I can't remember who yeah, it was. Delegated. There's a there's a lot of uh, experiments to kind of elect and delegate coins and right. and say I'm going to have these people do this on behalf, which is essentially proxy voting, exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Um, so you know. Will people actively elect their proxy voters every quarter, every year? Do they do it once and then they don't care anymore? I mean, at what point are these things like real representations of community will versus some sort of way for us to say we asked and but we're still actually doing the same thing, the same five people we're going to do anyway? Which, which I, I guess if, <laughs> if your starting point is um, that central banks and the entire global system is broken, therefore we need to democratize it, then you would build something that looks and feels a little bit like um, plutocracies and or the, 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 the maker's kind of um, scenario and, and design and governance. But actually, when you look, get into, again, the turpentine, the practical issues with trying to get everybody to vote for things, most people don't understand how the thing works. But your early adopter community is so into this stuff that they do understand how it works. And then observer bias kicks in. It's like, oh, well, I understand it. So the, the everybody else will be like me and they'll understand it. And they'll want to vote for monetary policy going forward because everybody will be active. And most people don't. The overwhelming majority of people want to want to raise their family, do their job, just like enjoy life. They don't want to be thinking about monetary policy and voting every week on you know what what the interest rate for for a token should be but that's what i liked about the proxy idea which was nothing to do with with the maker project but i I loved it as an idea because truthfully i think if you sort of one-off say oh it's them and then forget then it's kind of your fault right so you you know if you're really really unengaged no i choose to become engaged in the future i can change who my proxy voter is or do it myself yeah, I love that I, these I, experiments I, 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 are happening. Yeah. It's very it's very cool that um, people are trying new things. It, it, it just gets a little silly when we all take ourselves so seriously and, and the, <laughs> the language that we've developed around governance systems and the delegated this and all mm. of that and we're custodying our proxy votes. We're experimenting with figuring out how to run a community. I mean, <laughs> but, but, yeah, community and, uh, again, a monetary system. Ethereum, which thankfully hasn't been on the agenda today because we could go down that rabbit hole – but, I mean, you literally have Vitalik asking, like, like nuclear questions, right, about monetary policy uh, and feeling like he can do that without incurring such incredible doubt, right, and, yeah. and skepticism and concern amongst everybody, you know, who looks to him as the, somebody as that stable guide. There is an is anti-fragility to yeah. this experimentation phase that's really powerful and interesting in that uh, it, the way, the model of central banking today is those people know what they're doing and we trust them and those institutions are really big and then they therefore they won't fail. And there's that whole trust model of banking. And the anti-fragility piece of like, we can have these open debates and the thing still kind of runs because here's the tech and here's the code and like, go, go look at the blocks yourself. There's, it's a it's a real there is still something in that i think that's really really powerful and interesting and is there a takeaway there if i'm sitting in a bank because i guess um there's a lot of listeners that are that are trying to do something with tokens trying to do something with digital assets trying to solve day-to-day problems like is there any of this amber maybe that that i can use or is it just still very much learning phase uh i I think that it's it's neat to watch – you were talking about the governance thing still, mm-hmm. yeah? I think it's neat to watch projects figure out how to govern themselves. Um, I think we can look to open source code projects in general that are not necessarily token projects but have existed for quite some time and see that there's 
always discussion about how do we create community around our open source project, but you still tend to have a smaller, it's a pipeline or a funnel uh, down from people who use the thing, people who talk about the thing, uh, down to the people who actually contribute um, and the code creators and the maintainers, um, and that most open source projects are benevolent dictatorships. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a very small number of people with an outsized amount of control, and you could have every person in that community have a vote. They would probably probably say, you know what, I like the way that these couple people are running this project, and they give them the votes anyway. Yeah. So how much effort do we put really into this? Really want to put into the governance thing. It, it, it will be useful when we are talking about, like, decentralized financial global world systems. But right now we're mostly talking about an open source repo. So do you, <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Uh, and, and then do you think there's, there's uh, on, on the digital asset conversation more broadly, there are baby steps? Because we're seeing a lot of stuff like Harbor, Templum, those sorts of guys where they're trying to make the concept of digital assets fit with the existing world of governance. It, is there more value in that in the short term and then picking up lessons from the experimental stuff? Or is, is where do you stand on that? I think that it's a much easier lift to replicate um, post-trade workflows and like um, operational management flows for existing securities and assets, like the proxy voting, for example. I mean, we've been doing that for like 200 years. We know how, right, you know, it's gone from mail to I should be able to log into a, a, a portal that probably doesn't work to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know very concretely how it's supposed to work. And that takes some of the weight off of thinking like an, a free kind of green field, how could this work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, sure, like we will probably be able to create some functioning governance systems, which maybe can be recorded and manipulated and updated on some sort of immutable ledger. And that those will be interesting experiments that can contribute to the broader, what would we do if we started from a blank slate projects? Interesting times. Yeah. So from a, you know, the harbors, securitizes, Vertalos, and they're all different places in the stack. You know, there hasn't been a tremendous amount, Republic, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of traction to date in terms of, you know, offerings that have occurred on these platforms. And I think the reason is, you know, what's the value to the offer, you know, to the person who's actually doing the issuer, who's actually doing the offering? Um, I can understand in many cases the benefit to the buyer uh, of having a token. It might be more liquid. uh, But it's far too early. You don't have enough uh, proof points of this being successful. And you, know, you only have one shot at a deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I raise a round of funding, I'm not going to go tokenize it and do a token offering. Like I've said publicly, hey, I'm considering it. But that's mainly just because I'm curious about what the different tools and o- options are out there. But as soon as you do a token offering today as a normal business, you're kind of looked at as like, hey, why can't they buy I think you said something normally? really powerful there. The benefit to the issuer hasn't been thought through. Um, I'm always reminded of the the story that uh, Jason, my, my co-founder at 11FS, talks about of digitized versus digital. He gives the example of newspapers on an iPad. Right. So if you remember when the iPad first came out, you like you could download the newspaper in a PDF and you could turn the page. And now you had like a newspaper that costs three hundred dollars to replace if you drop it and runs out of battery. Like the only winner <laughs> in that was the newspaper company because they'd reduced their costs of distribution. They hadn't actually fundamentally solved a problem for the customer. Whereas then you look at well, what is because you know, they digitized an analog process. Oh, totally. They, I remember reading the New York Post and having to like flip through the digital pages. I 
I killed that within it's, a month. It's just, but but a lot of the quote-unquote innovation we're seeing is like, how do I take it and do it in a digital context? Correct. And there's some value in maybe starting at like customer problem domain rather than starting in the, hey, how do I make my internal processes cost less? How do I reduce my cost of distribution? It's like, no, get underneath the customer problem a little bit more and you're in a, in a different space. All right, um, stories we didn't have time to cover this week. Uh, Wabi uh, raised $4.6 million in new funding. Uh, Bitfinex <laughs> denies laundering, says it's a victim of fraud. Uh, okay. Um, story, for, uh, again, from the block. Uh, blockchain could destroy banks in London and impact tax collection, warns McKinsey senior advisor. Wow. Uh, so apparently, maybe you need to go pay them to find out why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're gentle with the headlines. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, story from the block. Uh, World Economic Forum to build blockchain platform for responsible sourcing of metals. Interesting that they're building that. The um, world's words out. Yeah, yeah. In, it's a lot of that. And somebody get a fork. There's, we're just surrounded by word salad. Uh, time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. This week's Tweet of the Week comes from uh, Cole Canelli uh, at Cole Got Tweets. Great Twitter handle. It reads, uh, we ch- uh, WeChat searches on the uh, on October 23rd, 2019. Uh, for blockchain, they had 777,000. Uh, and for Bitcoin, they had 520,000. Uh, the WeChat searches on the 25th of October for blockchain was 9.2 million. And for Bitcoin was 1.3 million. So uh, new cycles gone a new cycle. Um, and any interesting reflections, uh, Mike, and uh, kind of how you've seen that? historically and do you think we're going to see more of these in the future so we haven't seen it historically because it's actually a new tool as far as we can tell uh, introduced by wechat but i can assure you that we'll be monitoring that closely it's much more uh granular than google trends and, and really interesting uh data is going to come out of that we believe over the next couple months and years we all love data all right I'd like to know what the chat frequency in the same platform for Fortnite or World of Warcraft was in the same time frame <laughs> because I've do- I have pulled this graph on Google searches uh, and uh, against GDPR, privacy, data privacy, Bitcoin, blockchain, and Fortnite. Um, and Fortnite consistently wins uh, on sustained volume. So let's keep it in perspective. But also, yay, Fortnite. Um, <laughs> uh, that wraps up uh, this week's show. Just to remind you all, uh, this podcast is, of course, brought to you by 11FS, and we're a challenger consultancy uh, working to shape the next generation of financial services. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Amber? Uh, I'm Amber Balde on Twitter, and Clover is at clovyr.io. Beautiful. Uh, Mike? Yeah, I'm at M-D-U-D-A-S on Twitter, and... Uh, www.theblockcrypto.com. Beautiful. On the web. Will. I'm on Twitter at willwhite11fs. Ah. On brand. Yeah, get, staying on brand. I, I, yeah, I think I need to change my Twitter handle. You <laughs> <laughs> Owning that there. And of course, they can find you at Rise in New York if they want to speak to you. They can, yeah. Come, come see me. Come, come hang out. A big thank you, as always, uh, to our amazing production team here at 11FS, producer Laura, Petrit, Hannah, and, of course, Alex, our editor. Uh, especially shout-out to Alex this week. Um, and, of course, you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or email me directly, simon at 11FS.com. Thank you for listening. We'll have more Blockchain Insider from New York next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>